This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 833 with Chantal Donnelly. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 833. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Chantal Donnelly is a mom, a physical therapist, and the author of Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. She's also the founder of the wellness company Body Insight, Inc. She holds degrees in psychology and kinesiology from Occidental College and a master's in physical therapy from Mount St. Mary's College in Los Angeles. Chantal is a certified Pilates instructor, a practitioner of the Safe and Sound Protocol, and a writer, producer, and the star of the exercise and rehabilitation videos, Strong Knees and Pain-Free at Work. Chantal helps people find relief from body stress, but also mental and emotional stress using a body-focused approach. She believes that stress fluency can make the world a better place. So we're here to talk today about stress in terms of emotional mental health stress, more so than physical body stress, although the two are definitely interlocked and stressors in your daily life that like are held inside your brain and your emotions and all that definitely manifest in other ways. If you're anyone who struggles with headaches or neck tension or back pain, 
that's often a sign of stress in different ways where we're internalizing stress, we're holding it in, and it's causing all sorts of physical manifestations as well. So all of this definitely interlocks together. And we're going to talk about that a bit today. But we're really going to be talking about stress from this mental health perspective, and especially how this impacts motherhood and how we can practice re-regulating ourselves a little bit so that we don't use the same defaults that tend to lead to stress and keep us in stress for long periods of time. So I'm very, very excited for you to hear this conversation because I'm so excited about the work that Chantal's doing. And also I felt like I had a lot of ahas in this conversation. So listening to hear Chantal share her stress quadrant model and how we exist on the stress matrix at all times. I love this idea of the stress matrix. I... (laughs) This was made so much sense to me and really helped me see things differently in terms of my own stress. Then she talks about why people internalize stress as a sign of weakness and the cultural paradox of hustle culture while also showing stress as being a sign of weakness. She talks about how mothers internalize stress specifically and then our need to manage stress differently than people who aren't moms. We dig into the importance of normalizing the stress that mothers carry and understanding how this stress impacts our ability to be patient and empathetic. This was a conversation that needed to be had because when we're really stressed out, we're not our most patient and empathetic selves. And then we feel like we're bad parents and then we are more stressed out. So, oh my goodness, such a cycle. She talks about how rushing and hurry upping with our kids creates dysregulation between our brains and bodies, whether we're doing this with our kids or we're just always rushing ourselves. She talks about how moms and dads experience stress differently and how same-sex parents experience stress differently. And then she talks about counterintuitive, but super simple, super quick, like 30-second tools for self-regulation. So lots of great takeaways, lots of ahas in terms of understanding stress and how it might be showing up for you within this conversation. So I'm very excited to dig in. So with all that, please join me in welcoming Chantal Donnelly to the Shameless Mom Academy. Chantal, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited for our conversation. I am really excited to be here. Thanks, Sarah. You told me you've been listening to the show. So it's like we already know each other. (laughs) It is. I feel like you're a good friend. (laughs) <laughs> oh, perfect. We are. We're already good friends. So it makes it so much easier. I love it. Yeah. It's funny because people say that to me a lot. Like I've had you in my ear for so long and I feel like we know each other and I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's such an honor to be friends with you. <laughs> nice. It's a nice thing. Yeah. So much. I'm so excited to dig into our conversation today. And I always like to start off with the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. So can you tell us a little bit about that and something you're excited about right now? Yeah. I love the beyond the bio. Yes. That's lovely. I'm really excited. <laughs> about an event I'm doing tomorrow, something new, I've never done it before. And when I was writing my book, I did a lot of what Julia Cameron from The Artist Way calls artist dates. And I would go out by myself and, you know, whether it was going to some gardens, a park or a museum or whatever it was, dancing in my living room to prints for an hour, whatever it was. And one of the things that I really, really enjoyed doing on my artist dates was art journaling. And I have a girlfriend who taught me how to do art journaling. And I am not an artist. I'm more of a performing artist than a visual artist, if anything. And so it was a little intimidating when I first started taking her art journaling classes. But it's basically collage meets sloppy paint. Like it's just, you know, and yeah, it's green. It's super, super fun. And there's usually a theme that you're journaling around. And so what I would do when I was writing the book is I, I didn't plan on doing this, but what happened sort of organically is as 
as I was doing my art journaling, I would start journaling about and doing the art and sort of depicting visually where I was in my nervous system state Mm. or where I tend to go. Like, what does calm feel like? What does fight or flight to me feel like? What does frozen feel like? What does it look like? Right? Because this was a visual depiction. And so the event tomorrow is we're combining a book club with art journaling and we're going to Yes. <laughs> I'm excited. I think it's going to be really fun. And we're, we're going to be talking about something in the book that I call the stress quadrant, which is kind of how you map out where you are in your nervous system. And it's something I created, but you can do it visually. There's a visual chart to it. And so really just getting into a deep dive and finding our creative way of expressing all of the different nervous system states that we embody. Oh my gosh. I love it so much. I know my listeners are going to want me to ask this question. So I'm going to ask it, but let me know if you were saving it for somewhere else in our conversation. What are the four quadrants of the step, the uh, uh, stress quadrants? Uh, all of us are like, wait, which quadrant am I What, what quadrant am I in? Yeah. <laughs> so it's an entire chapter in my book. So it can get a little complicated, but basically a quadrant, you know, it's going to have, it's four quadrants. So there's an X and a Y axis. So stress can come into our bodies either with too much movement. So that's your sympathetic fight flight nervous system. So I depict that as the Y axis in the quadrant. And then the X axis, which goes horizontally, is the other way in which stress and calm can come into your body, which is stillness. So if you think about yummy stillness, that's sort of a nice, calm, peaceful place where we feel connected with other people and with ourselves. And then there's this other kind of stillness, which is immobilized, shut down, freeze is what it's typically called. So what I do is I plot your movement system on the y-axis and your stillness system on the x-axis. And now you have four quadrants. So how does sympathetic fight flight arousal help you in ways if you're not super high up on that axis you now have motivation and focus and enthusiasm and drive if you get too high up into the axis now you're getting into what i call the jazz hands territory it's like ah frantic and irritable and all the things that we associate with fight flight that tightness in the chest maybe clenching your teeth all of that stuff that we might think of traditionally as being fight flight and so the four quadrants are a nuanced way of understanding that stress is not you're stressed you're not stressed there's Mm. different nuances to it and so you can be different places on the matrix anywhere in one of those four quadrants and once you know how to map that out then you have a better understanding of where you need to go do you need to turn the volume up on movement or turn it down oh that makes so much sense I'm also self-analyzing as someone who doesn't find a lot of peace in sitting still. I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something to note in there. Yeah. I have something called the, in the book, it's the chapter is called the stillness seesaw. And it's about mm. how stillness and immobility can feel very similar. So sometimes we're trying to avoid that shutdown by avoiding stillness entirely. Yeah. Like don't ever ask me to meditate in silence. A guided meditation I can do all day long. Just yes. total silence and stillness. Oh my gosh. So hard for a lot <laughs> yeah. of people find that to be anxiety inducing. Yes. 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 It really gets me in my brain where I'm like, stop thinking about things. Stop thinking about things. <laughs> Yeah. And then I'm writing a grocery list. Like I like can't. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm excited for all the other questions now that we started with that. Can you talk a little bit about how you were working professionally as a physical therapist and then became interested in stress management? And I have a lot of assumptions I can make around how one might have led you to the other based on what you might have been seeing in physical therapy. But can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, it was twofold. And it was definitely what I was seeing with my patients Mm -hmm. first, and then what I was seeing with myself second. So what I was seeing with my patients was that a good number of them, I would say probably 80% or more of my patients were doing well and they were getting better on my treatment table, but they would go back to their toxic job, toxic relationship, stressful life. It didn't even have to be toxic. It was just stressful. And all of that connective tissue that I had unwinded and all of that inflammation that I had settled would wind back up again. And I felt like after a while, I was like, I'm just putting a bandaid on a lot of the body physiological problems that I'm dealing with if I can't help my patients with the stress component. And so that's one of the reasons I started getting into the science on stress and just doing a really deep dive there. At the same time that I was getting frustrated in my work as a physical therapist, I was also kind of frustrated in my own life. My son was heading into middle school, I want to say. My husband and I were struggling a little bit in our relationship. There was a lot of other stress going on in my life. And I just kind of felt like I was either that overachiever, kind of like you were saying, like, can't be still, or I would collapse and I would fluctuate between the two. Like it was to stress extreme. There was nothing in the middle Mm -hmm. and I never felt completely right. I never felt like I settled into some kind of a, something that resembled calm. Right. Yeah. And so it was for me and for my patients that I really started getting into stress. And I'm so happy I did. It Mm. really has made a difference with chronic pain. It makes a huge difference because if you start worrying and catastrophizing and stressing out about your pain, that actually makes the pain worse. So we need to interrupt that cycle. Yeah. The last two nights I've been awake with foot pain (laughs) and... The first night I was like, why am I awake in the middle? Why is my foot hurting? Like I've never had this before. And so then last night before I went to bed, I was so fixated on it. I was like, rub my foot down with like 13 different like creams and ointments and salves. And then I was like laying in bed. Do I feel it now? What if I hold, put my foot this way? Do I feel it now? And then I woke up during the night. Am I feeling the foot pain? I think it's just in my toe now. <laughs> and just think if that's just a couple of days of foot pain. And right. we, we can talk after this recording about uh, what's going on. I can try to help you if you want. But just think about if you've had pain for three months, six months, yeah. like yeah. what ends up happening, right? And yeah. so the, like chronic back pain, I think would be a perfect example of something that like a lot of people are just carrying all the time yeah. and then adapting to. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I have a million more questions on that scope right there, but we'll we'll keep going, but maybe circle back or I think sure. it might just continue to be integrated. I think there's being conscientious of stress and being not conscientious of stress. And so I think that sometimes we're very aware that like life is hectic and chaotic and it's a really, you know, busy season or overwhelming season. But I also think that sometimes, and I think this is so true for parents, that we live in a hectic season for like 18 years and we don't realize that we're stressed out because it's, we normalize it. And I always kind of use the example of when you have a baby 
those first few months, you don't sleep much at all. But then like two, three months in, you're like, well, I mean, I was really tired for a few weeks, but now I'm kind of fine. And as it turns out, I actually do reasonably well on four hours of sleep. Like you start adapting and you don't recognize your body signals that you're tired. And I think that with stress, and I'm curious what you would have to say about this. It's a similar thing where when we carry stress for a long time, and I think that as parents, that just happens naturally, that we don't notice it. And what do you see in that realm with parents specifically? I think there is some adaptation for sure. But I think culturally, we've been taught that if we verbalize that we're stressed, if we show that we're stressed, that somehow we are weaker, there's something wrong with us. It's like a moral failing for some people. So I think it's an adaptation, but I also think it's a cultural paradox where our culture actually tells us to be stressed. Push yourself out of your comfort zone, right? And yet, and doesn't give us a lot of the support as parents that we probably need to have more of. And yet tells us like, don't show that you're stressed. That's not good. That, That makes you a weak person. Right. So I think that's part of why we adapt because if we, mm-hmm. if we keep saying we're not getting enough sleep, people are going to start to say, well, you're a bad mom. Like to stop complaining. You can't complain about being a mom. Right. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. How does stress management look different as a parent than for non-parents? I'm sure there's a lot you have to say about that. (laughs) It is different. I will, I'll start by saying that. And I'll also say that I wrote my book for me to heal as a parent. Mm -hmm. And the book is dedicated to my son. And I felt that it wasn't until I was more regulated in my nervous system that my relationship with him was better. It was more connected. And I felt, I don't want to say I was a bad mom before I've worked through that shame. Mm -hmm. That is no longer a shame for me. It was a missing piece of information that would have really helped me when my son was younger and knowing how to regulate would have helped him for all of it. It would have helped my husband. It would have helped the entire household. And So I'm just going to say that that's why I wrote the book. The book's dedicated to my son. It's really a good book for parents because I had that in mind when I was writing it. Now, I'm not going to compare the stress of a parent versus the stress of a child-free person because I don't want to say like, oh, it's going to be worse for a parent because I think every situation is different. What I will say and what I think is really important for your listeners is parenting is stressful. Mm-hmm. It is hard, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think we're all you know nodding our head like, yeah, we know. And we have sort of been socialized to not talk about it. We've been socialized to talk about the good stuff about parenting. And there is lots of good stuff. And we should be talking about the good stuff. But normalizing the stress is okay. Because I think what happens is if we don't talk about the stress, we don't talk about what the stress in parenting can cause, right? And so because parenting is stressful... There's this other component that comes into play with parents that makes it a little bit different than if you don't have children. And what that is, is that that stress causes a decrease in two things that we really need as a parent, patience and empathy. (laughs) If you think about when you are super stressed out, particularly if you're in what we call a fight flight nervous system, you don't have a whole lot of patience. You take everything personally, right? This is like every night at bedtime. Like no patience, no empathy. (laughs) That's why I'm laughing. I'm like, everyone can think of like, there's at least one time a day every day that we feel this, maybe more, but like every parent at bedtime. (laughs) And that's it. Absolutely. And that's the one thing that we do need, right? Or if our child is having a difficult time, that's usually when we run out too, because we start getting stressed about what's going on with them. The empathy piece is interesting because sometimes we have too much empathy as parents, And sometimes we have too little. And that really depends on where you are in your nervous system. So empathy that is boundaryless, meaning you feel your child's pain as if it's your own pain, can be really tough 
for parenting because that's going to shut you down. You're not going to be able to help your child if you are feeling so much of their pain that it's now your pain. And if you're in fight or flight, you won't have any empathy at all. And you need to have that empathy as a parent. So the stress that parenting just naturally creates because there's more responsibility, there's less sleep, blah, 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 right? Parenting is just stressful. It can create a loss to or a dysfunction to the two things that we really need, which is patience and empathy. Okay. Now, at the same time, especially before the age of nine, the children that we are with, and if they're younger than nine, they emulate our nervous system state. So a child that young can only be as regulated as their parent. So if I'm in frantic distress, my child can only be anxious or shut down. They can't be calm when I'm not, right? So that's how it's different because we're around people who don't have a fully developed nervous system yet. And so they're emulating what we're doing. So now you can have two people who are completely in stress mode, whatever that is, whether it's freeze or fight flight, too much movement, too much stillness. So as soon as two people are together in a space and they're both stressed out. Now you have two people who cannot co-regulate, who cannot be in a healthy relationship together in that moment. Right. right. And so you end up in parenting with a lot of what's called rupture, which leads to a need for repair. And you can't repair unless you, the adult, is regulated, is settled, is calm. That makes a lot of sense. Two questions. You've mentioned motion and stillness a bunch of times. And I want to just to make sure that we're supporting everyone's vision of what that might look like. When I think of stillness, I think of like physical stillness and quiet and all that. When you think of motion, are you thinking specifically of physical motion or is this also like mental energetic motion? Because I think that people might be having lots of different visions of what that could look like for motion. It's not just like jumping up and down in your living room. Exactly. No, that is a really, really great question. And thank you for asking it. No. So motion and stillness both can be, you know, the movement, for example, can be your ping-ponging thoughts. It can be the increase in your heart rate, the increase in your blood pressure, the stochotic breath pattern that you've gone into. Mm -hmm. So all of that is a sense of increased arousal in your system that creates a sense of movement. And the stillness can be, I mean, you can be making dinner and moving around and chopping and doing all sorts of things and be in a shut down, frozen state where you are still functional, you're still moving, but your entire system is depleted and feeling hopeless. And you might feel like you don't want to connect with others. And that's that kind of stillness that I'm talking about. It's an immobility, but it's internal. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. Thank you for that clarification. So when we recognize, so now my second question (laughs) is a follow-up to everything you just shared. When we, I'm sure there's a bunch of women listening to this are like, oh, wow, I can see how my child and I have been co-dysregulated, if that's the right word. And what do we start to do about that? And maybe it's different. You mentioned this nine-year-old cutoff, you know. Yeah, it's around that time. Yeah. Yeah. And so- Can you talk a little bit about what can we do about that if we're recognizing this and we have a child under nine versus recognizing it if we have a child over nine? So I wrote the book to teach people, whether their child is eight or 15, how to regulate their own nervous system. 
In doing so, it will help your child ultimately regulate their own nervous system and learn how to, when they become more independent in their autonomic nervous system preferences, meaning when they become more independent in how they respond to stress, they will have better resilience and better tools. And it's sort of a a way of breaking the transgenerational stress patterns that can happen. We pick up on our parents, whether it's in utero with our mom or whether it's, you know, emulating them as we get older and grow up, we pick up on the stuff that our parents carried stress-wise. Mm-hmm. And that can be from their parents that they carried with them. And then we, it's not only that we are mirroring them and learning from them, but it's actually in the epigenetics. It's actually changes in the genome that can flip a gene on or off on how sensitive we are to stress and how resilient we are. That makes sense. And it also makes sense that you'd have to learn how to regulate yourself before you can start to assist your child with that. Yeah. It's the whole airplane, put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah. And because they're emulating and mirroring your nervous system, you really do benefit from learning how to calm your own nervous system and you will see a difference. You know, sometimes too, where we are in our nervous system affects how we see what our children are doing. Right. So I have a teenager, he's 19 now, and typically his bedroom has been a mess because he's a teenage boy. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And I can freak out about his room and take it personally. And he's disrespectful. And I keep asking him to clean his room and everything. And I can have a stress response to that that looks very much like fight flight. And really, because other times when I see his bedroom, I'm like, teenagers, boys, you know, like (laughs) I have a totally different reaction. I kind of laugh it off. Mm. Really, what's going on with his bedroom is that he is not a brat. He's a barometer for where I am in my nervous system state, right? Totally changes how I respond to him and what he does and how I respond to that. That is such a great example. I'm thinking of the moments in the bedroom example is so perfect. The moments where my son has this bed that's kind of lofted. And so his default when he's supposed to quote unquote clean his room is he just stuffs everything under <laughs> the lofted area and it's kind of enclosed by bookshelves. So you can't quite see under there unless like you're a smaller person who wants to get on your hands and knees and crawl under. And I will walk by it for months, like in and out of his room, down the hall, whatever, and like not know, notice care have any interest in what's under the bed. And then there's this moment where I'm like, this is unacceptable. We are dealing with this today. Like come up here right now. We are getting under that bed and you're so right. (laughs) Yeah. And it's always around now that I'm thinking this through, I'm like, it's around transition times where I'm like, you're going into a new grade or it's Christmas break, or it's like this other transition time where maybe I'm navigating a transition. And then I'm like, we are getting under that bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So next time you can play barometer or brat and you can take a pause and go, where was I in my nervous system state? Was I feeling stressed or was I feeling calm? And then that helps you like just kind of pull away from it and like, okay, before I looked at the room, before I looked at that loft area, where was I? And is this really a litmus test for my stress state? Or is this something that my kid is doing that's truly needs to be redirected? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. (laughs) Every parent's now evaluating their relationship with their kid's messy bedroom. Yes. I love it. And there's a lot of examples, I think, in parenthood where this happens, right? Yeah. Yes. So many. I think it 
happens, an area where I'm noticing it happen right now is attention to detail or like caregiving when doing homework. <laughs> where I'm like, is that your neatest writing? <laughs> like, my heart, could you use a better eraser that doesn't make like black marks on the page? Like, it's who cares? It's homework. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a mass sheet that no one's actually going to look at you. Exactly. No, that's a really good example. I think rushing too. what I noticed is particularly when my son was young is you're always rushing as a parent and rushing actually tells your nervous system that something is wrong. Right. And so it can be a little bit of a miscommunication between what's going on in the body, that increase in heart rate that you get from rushing around Mm -hmm. and what the brain thinks is going on. And the brain can think that, oh, we're, we're rushing. Something is wrong. There's an emergency at hand here. Right. And so you start to feel stressed, but really we're just rushing to drop the kids off to school. We're rushing to the PTA meeting. We're rushing to get to the soccer practice, you know, whatever it is that we're rushing to, because that's, it's a kind of a normal thing for a parent that can be something that tells our nervous system that something is wrong when really it's not. And so the, your child gets in the car and you're rushing to get them to school. And you're like, you didn't clean up your room. That whole loft area is all messy. And then you you start to wonder, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling so irritable? Probably because we need to slow down. And now every parent is thinking about how they get out of the house every single morning. <laughs> yeah, I know. Years ago, I read something. It was like the five things that you should like stop saying to your kid or something like some like BuzzFeed article. But it was like, stop routinely saying, be careful and stop routinely saying, hurry up. Like these are things that like moms just say all the time without giving it a thought. And then like, what's the underlying message? And so I try really hard not to tell my child to hurry up like on the way to school, but then I'm just all these other ways to be like, how do I say hurry up? So I'm like, maybe let's walk just a little bit faster today. Well, I'm like, if I say that every single day, isn't that the same as hurry up? Who knows? I like that though. I like the not saying be careful too. I like Yeah. That. And that's like a parent thing. It's like an instinctual thing because you're on the playground with your kid and you're thinking, I don't want them to walk off the platform and you know that's two stories high. <laughs> and so you're like, be careful up there. And they don't know what to do with that. And so like having to like, think of like, what do I say instead? It's really tricky. Yeah. So it's interesting kind of some of those things that we automatically say or do, but I do think that there's so much the rushing and hurry upping, whether we're saying it out loud or we're just doing it. (laughs) We're frantically moving through the house, which I'm very guilty of. Um, My family has recently brought it to my attention, kind of how my whirlwind behavior can impact everyone. (laughs) Yes, me too. I'm right there with you. So yeah, being conscientious of that. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. 
you get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. How do moms or women manage stress or show stress differently than dads and men? Ah, it's a great question. I don't think you will be surprised to know that prior to 1995, only 17% of the studies done on stress included women. Not surprising, but oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So when we talk about fight or flight, we're actually talking about the research that was done primarily on men up until 1995. Now, there is a um, psychologist who works out of UCLA. She's a professor there, Shelley E. Taylor. So she took issue with this, thank goodness. And she started studying, is there a difference between the way women stress and the way men stress? Now, you know, science is never a perfect beast and there's always bias. And so she got rid of this male female bias for us. And I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. So you know that the bias that's still there is that these were heterosexual cisgender women that she was looking at. So what she found is that women in that population release oxytocin. We think of oxytocin as being like the hug hormone, right? Like you release it when you cuddle and that kind of thing. And that's true. But With women, apparently, we also release oxytocin when there is relationship distress. Mm. There is a problem, an argument in the relationship. That's a cue for our body to release oxytocin. And men don't do this as much. Okay. And what she found is that an increase in oxytocin decreases the cortisol of fight or flight. Okay. So you get an increase in oxytocin in women, and then you get a decrease in fight flight, which means that women, when we stress, it's not quite as aggressive and irritable, and it doesn't look like the typical fight flight that we might think about. What Does that mean it's not as visible? Like it's more internalized or am I, is that wrong? So what she found, what Professor Taylor found is that it looks like something she calls tend and befriend. So when Mm. we take care of our offspring, our children, and when we create networks of support and assistance, that's actually a stress response. And it happens because we are releasing oxytocin. And that tends to be more typical of female hetero women than men. And so our fight flight is we still go into fight flight and men do go into tend and befriend. But in general, you're going to see more of the tend and befriend in moms than you are in dads. That totally makes sense. And you were pointing out specifically hetero cisgender people in that whole example. And in the data, can you talk a little bit about how this works in same sex parenting? Yeah, Um, they have done some research on the same sex parenting. Well, Indirectly. So they looked at cortisol patterns, release of cortisol when someone is stressed in lesbian and gay men, lesbian women, gay gay men. And what they found is that lesbian women will have an increase in cortisol spike compared to hetero women. So that means that the lesbian women are looking a little bit more like hetero men 
in their response to stress. Interesting. And of course, they found the opposite in gay men. They found a decrease in cortisol release with a stressful event in gay men compared to hetero men. Is this presumably because of gender socialization? Yeah, that's a good question. That is going to be a huge component of it for sure. But it could also be some changes in the genetic and epigenetic markers. I don't think they really know exactly, but I definitely think that in different cultures, if we could study this, we might find some differences in in cultures that have different gender norms. Yeah. There's so much in there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, I'm really, really interested and do a lot of work around the socialization of women and I just think there's so much that we don't acknowledge when we look at where women stand today in terms of how we're socialized over the course of our lives. So I'm thinking that through with that question, like what's how much of it is the way we've been taught to behave in certain ways, the way we've been modeled behavior, the way we've been internalizing messaging our entire lives versus like what we were born with and passed down to us. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot to tease out there for sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What do you want moms to know when it comes to finding relief from their stress? I think we've talked a lot about what kind of what this can look like and what the data says, but now how do we stop it? (laughs) I mean, honestly, I read a whole book on this, so it's hard to boil it down. And we will be pointing everyone to the book. So the book in which we have not mentioned by title, and we'll do that now, Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. So can you give us just a little bit around how moms, what you want moms to know around finding stress relief, but then also maybe a couple to tools or tips for self-regulation. Oh yeah. We definitely need to get to some tools here. So one thing I want moms to know is that being stressed again, and I think I've mentioned this before is normal. There should be no shame in being stressed as a parent. It's inevitable. And I don't want you to stress out about being stressed out. Right. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That just makes it worse. Like that's our gift, right? You're like, great. Now I'm going to stress out about my stress. I'll spend about 45 minutes a day. (laughs) Yeah. Do not get stressed about being stressed out. The other thing I want moms to know in particular is all that stuff that we spend so much time during the day monitoring our children for. So is my kid hungry? Is he tired? Did he get outside to play? Did he eat too much sugar? Did he get enough quiet time today? Did he get enough socializing time with his friends? All of that, we monitor our kids' because we know that that is going to affect their nervous systems. That's why we do that, right? We know that if a kid doesn't get enough sleep, that they are not going to be their best and not be able to regulate their nervous system and be as resilient as they should be. Same thing with hunger, same thing with thirst, all of that stuff. And yet we ignore it completely for ourselves. I can't tell you how many moms don't drink enough water or eat because they're too busy taking care of their children. Right. Or they eat too much sugar because it's on the go or have too much coffee or, you know, they're just not able making it a priority. And the basic thing is your body budget for being calm and in a calm nervous system. That's the basics. If you don't get that, if you don't get enough sleep, if you don't get enough fresh air outside, if you don't get enough time with friends socializing, all of the things that we worry about for our kids, we need to worry about for ourselves as well and prioritize. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I'll say too, that a lot of times women are finding that they cover all of those bases. So it's like, you know, we're all doing our self-care and we're really trying to make that a priority Mm -hmm. as we should, but we're still feeling stressed. 
So if that is you, and I know that's a lot of your listeners, but certainly was me and occasionally is still me, don't rely on, we talked about meditation earlier, don't rely on a lot of what are called the brain down tools, meditation, Mm. mindset, positive thinking. We tend to rely on that stuff as a culture. And we tend to think that that's going to save us because we're, we love our brains and we're very brainy. So we like to think of Mm -hmm. the mind being all powerful. What happens is if you work from the body up and those are the tools and we'll get to them in a minute. If you focus on your body up first, the mind will follow and all of the meditation and the positive thinking that will have more, it will stick. It will work better. That makes sense. I'm excited to hear more. I think a whole bunch of people are like, thank God I don't have to meditate. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing. And again, we're going to get to the tools in a second, but my tools typically are like 30 seconds long. So if you don't have time for an hour and a half yoga class, here's a 30 second tool that you can do with your child that might help. And on that note, another thing I want people to know is that a tool that might help your friend may or may not help you. You can't assume that meditation because it helps your hairdresser is going to help you. You can't assume breathing techniques are going to help you. They may or may not. And, you know, people start to feel a lot of shame around, oh, meditation doesn't work for me. What's wrong with me? It works for everybody else. And that's not true. It doesn't work for everybody else. Breathing techniques don't work for everybody. So it's really important to what I call play detective, really get in tune with what calm feels like in your body and in your mind, you know, and get in a sense of when you're doing a tool, is this helping me or not? To give yourself permission to do it as a form of data collection. Exactly. Yeah. Very well put. Yeah, exactly. So can you give us a 30 second example? Yes. I will give you a 30 second tool. I'm going to give you a couple of 30 second tools. Okay, perfect. So one way to do body up And remember, we were talking about oxytocin and it being sort of the cuddle hormone. And indeed, touch can help with oxytocin. And we know that oxytocin is going to decrease and dampen our stress response. So what they've learned is that bilateral, so both sides of the body, alternating tactile stimulation can settle your nervous system. Mm -hmm. So what that can look like is super simple. It's if you take your right hand and you put it on your left shoulder and you... I'm doing it right now. You're doing it right now. Come on. I'm like, yes, yes, mother. (laughs) (laughs) Only do this if you would like to do this, but yes, please, please join me if you'd like to. So right arm on left shoulder, and you're going to slowly sweep that arm down to your fingers. And then you're going to take your left hand, place it on your right shoulder and sweep it down the arm. So you're alternating both sides of the body, one and one side at a time, and you're doing touch. And this can, it just doesn't have to be a sweep. It can be little squeezes down the arm. Mm. I like to do that when I'm rushing. I do the little squeezing one when I'm feeling rushed and that allows my brain to go, oh, we're just moving fast. We are not under threat. Mm. Kind of calms everything down, makes me feel safer and more yeah. calm. So that is one way of doing it. You can do it on your legs. You can do it on your arms. Just You just do it alternating touch. And then the other thing is that our calming nervous system, a lot of people talk about the vagus nerve. You may have heard of 
the vagus nerve as being part of your calming nervous system. What people don't talk about a lot is that there are other cranial nerves in your face and neck that blend in with the vagus nerve and are also part of your calming nervous system. And it's really easy to access your vagus nerve through those other cranial nerves. So I won't get too technical here, but one of the cranial nerves, it's cranial nerve 11, it's called your accessory nerve. It feeds two muscles in your neck. One is called your sternocleidomastoid, which goes from behind the ear to your clavicle and helps you turn your head. And the other one is your upper traps, so your upper shoulders. So the places where we feel tension are actually associated with your calming nervous system. So if you can get that tension to release, you can access your vagus nerve and calm yourself down. So what I do is self-massage of the sternocleidomastoid, otherwise known as the SCM muscle. And to make it really simple, you just go right behind your ears, that kind of band-like muscle that's there, and you just rake down, straight down towards your collarbones. So right behind the ears and raking down. So now you're approximately on your sternocleidomastoid, one area of it, and you are talking to your calming nervous system right now and asking it to relax. How's that working for you, Sarah? Uh, Great. Between this and squeezing my arms, I'm ready to take a nap now. (laughs) It's working then. That's a good well, and I think know when you feel a little bit sleepy, that might be one of your signs of regulation. Yeah. I also think that it's just anything that's a pause to get back in your body, mm-hmm. which is really, really hard for me. It's just a reminder, like, okay, be here now, noticing, oh, I'm squeezing my arms. Okay. Like it's just it gives that moment to stop externally processing thinking and panicking sometimes and bringing it back into like just focusing on one thing that you can manage for 30 seconds. Um, And that feels very liberating. And the more in your body you are, the more Mm -hmm. empathy and patience you will have Mm -hmm. as a parent. So it's all full circle there. I was just going to say, you just totally brought us full circle. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So tell people who the book is for, although I think it's maybe for everyone listening. <laughs> tell people who the book is for and where they can find it. But the book is for anybody. More specifically, it's great for parents. It is great for anyone who is doing really well as a high achiever, but doesn't have the ability to enjoy the fruits of their labor. It's really good for people who tend to shut down around their goals or just around life in general. It's good for people who are having relationship problems, whether it's with a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling. I could go on. I think it's really, I think we all were human. I think it's good for humans. <laughs> um, but I think that the connection for parents though, really specifically is around, and I'm sure so many people recognize this and listening to this conversation around recognizing like children are going to be dysregulated because that's just the nature of children, but how our own dysregulation, either we enter being dysregulated and it stirs up the kids or a child's natural tendency to be dysregulated as they figure their lives out, then can trigger us to be dysregulated and how that co-dysregulation can be so dysfunctional for everyone. Exactly. And it just sort of breaks that cycle and allows you to step back a little bit, get more into your body and figure out that barometer or brat, like what's going on here for real. On top of the book, you also are online at bodyinsight.com, I believe. Do you want to tell people what you do there and how they can find you, connect with you? 
Yeah. So that's my company, Body Insight. So bodyinsight.com is my website. You can sign up for my newsletter. And I really encourage people to do that there because then if I'm doing a workshop or have events or anything like that, then you'll know about it through the newsletter. And then I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Body Insight Inc. And I do a ton of videos that are different tools, that even different ones that are, they're not even in the book. I'll do some extra tools there. I'll talk about why regulation is difficult and, and how to circumvent the problems that you might run into when you're trying to settle your nervous system. I talk about research. I talk about, all, there's lots of great videos there. So I encourage people definitely to check out Instagram at Body Insight Inc. and follow me. And then the book is Settled, How to Find Calm in a Stress-Inducing World. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. So we'll link everything up in the show notes if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Chantal Donnelly, then you can get everything right there. Chantal, tell people in one sentence how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. I am navigating my son who is in college, but living at home Mm. and telling him that I don't know how to do this independent, but not independent child thing. And (laughs) just saying like, look, this is new to me. It's new to you. Let's put this out together. And yeah, just that learning curve. Every time there's a transition with children, there's a learning curve. Oh my gosh. I've heard of a few people in that spot and it sounds real tricky. (laughs) I'm definitely not ready. (laughs) You will be. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Chantal. I so appreciate you being here. This was so helpful. And I know that your work is just really, really critical for parents. So thanks for all that you brought to this conversation. Everyone go out and buy the book. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. 
Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.